Well, good morning. I'm Daniel Van Cleve, one of the pastors here. Pastor Danny is under the weather this morning, and so he has given me the honor to stand before you and to preach the word this morning, and so that was his requirement. That was his, his challenge, his commission. I know he's watching this morning um, preach the word, and so I'm honored um, to do just that, and Pastor Danny, I hope to make you proud. I'm going to be plagiarizing a sermon from Jesus, so you cannot go wrong in doing that when you pull the words of Jesus. Hey, but before we get started this morning, I want to recognize a VIP in the room, a very, very important person that we have here this morning. He answers to the Holy Spirit. He is the most important one, and we're going to pray to him in just a moment. But I also want to recognize before we pray a bunch of other people in the room. First of all, I, I would like to know, are there any TSA agents in the room? Just before I tell this story here, just want to make sure I'll throw something at me. So, have <laughs> you ever felt the tension? I have TSA PTSD, I think, after what happened to me last year. You feel the tension going through TSA? Um, airport security over the past 20 years is way up, right? Um, it's, it's pretty intense. I, I'm pretty sure that TSA stands for terribly serious attitude. I do not know what it stands for, but I met one last year, not in Austin. It was another, another city. But I came across this agent that I'm quite confident really wanted to kill me and stuff me in a bag. Um, he, he was not a happy camper. He, he had gone through boot camp probably in the Marines, and they said, this guy's mean. He's a jerk. Let's put him in TSA. Send him over there. Stand there. Here's your job. Just stand there and be mean to everybody. This guy was doing well with that. I did not get his name, but I'm pretty certain his last name was Satan because um, um, he, he, was, he, he was rough, rough, rough. How many of you know that TSA now is, they're taking x-rays of us, imagery. I don't know if they want to call it an x-ray, but it is what it is. So you, you go through TSA and you stand there like this. I don't know why it's not like this, but you stand there, it's got to be like this. And you stand and this wand comes across, y'all know what I'm talking about? And then what happens next is your image, your pops up on this monitor and this agent is standing outside. I'm, I get paranoid when that goes down. They take, they take it, they're taking a picture of me and they're putting it on the, and, and basically just condensing me down to my birthday suit and, and on this monitor. And I don't know what to do with this. And I turn and I look and this guy is, you know, going to give me the nod of approval or good job, come on through, or you must work out. I don't know, but I, I'm just ready to get out of there. I don't like that. I don't like that. But I wonder what would happen if we put those, it's for security, right? What if we put them at the church doors? You say, I'm not coming back. She's like, I'm out of here now. What if we put them at the church doors, but instead of taking a picture of us and scanning and putting our, 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 what we look like on this monitor, it, 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 it took an image of our heart. And it scanned across our life and, and just on this monitor would pop up as everyone is coming in, just exactly how your morning has gone. 
Maybe you're struggling with, with anger and it just pops up there, this person's anger. Or maybe it would, would list um, a, a series of habits, fears. Maybe you're thinking about what you did Friday night and shame would pop up. Um, we, we wouldn't want to see that, would we? Um, I, I wouldn't come back. I wouldn't want to walk through and whatever my thought is display on that monitor. I want to tell you um, this morning that a couple of things that I believe would pop onto that monitor as we walked in. If those scans went down, one of them would be hurting. You're here, you're in the room, you're hurting. Someone has cut you. Life has cut you. Life has been hard. And, and, and you're maybe perhaps calloused. And, and you're walking in here with some hesitancy and, and a refusal to take any risk for the Lord. And so you atrophy. Others, the scan would be betrayed. Uh, betrayed, someone's hurt you. And what's even worse is when it's your family, when it's your brother who, who's hired an attorney that's suing you to, 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 to try to take something that doesn't belong to him. Or maybe you would hold your hands up and it would say, afraid. Afraid, I, I have cancer. My dad has cancer. Your mom and your child has cancer and you're having to, to swap the chemo bottle for the, for the formula bottle. Or maybe you would hold your arms up and, and it would say conflict in marriage. Wife hasn't spoke to me in 10 days. Divorce is on the horizon. Scary things, we wouldn't want to see that. Regret, regret something that happened 30 years ago. And all of a sudden it pops into your mind and the whole, everybody sees it. Bitterness would pop up, suffering from guilt. Um, moms struggling with mistakes that they made that they cannot take back. Forgiveness is available. Forgiveness has been given. Forgiveness has been received, but it just... It just jumps back into our minds and we would all come in with, with presuppositions that life has imposed on us things that have shaped our philosophy of God, things that have shaped our values or our beliefs and, 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 our, and our actions follow these things. One of the scariest things in my um, years of being involved in the church, one of the scariest things I think that can pop up is, is, is numb just numb. I'm just, I'm in the church routine and I'm coming in and going to do my same thing that I did last week. Check the church box, go to that same lunch, eat that same salad, go home and do that same thing, that good old amazing afternoon nap. And you're in that routine and your mind perhaps is rocked to sleep and, and, and that, that makes us prone to leave the same way we walked in. And I'm convinced this morning that the Holy Spirit, the VIP in the room, would not have us do that. He would not have us walk out of this place the same as we walked in. And so I believe as I describe these things that I've kind of acknowledged 80, 90% of the people in the room, yes, on your row, right where you're seated are people that are hurting people that have regrets, people that face things, that people that want me to move on right now. 
please just let's, let's not talk about this. But I'm going to ask you to make a decision today. And I want to invite you to consider what that monitor would say for your heart right now. And consider what would the Lord have as you listen to his love letters to you, as, you, as we listen to his word, what would God have us do? How would God have us respond? And the reason I share those things is I hear cancelees almost on a weekly basis say, wow, and I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard this. I would be a wealthy man. Maybe not, but I would definitely have several more hundred dollars than I have now. But I hear them say all the time, well, I, I just thought I was the only one going through that. That's a dangerous place to be, isolation. You're in good company this morning because in this room are messy people and we all need Jesus and he has something to speak to that today. He has something to say to that. So let's pray. And I want you to ask, I want you to talk to the Holy Spirit. I want you to talk to God this morning. And so try not even listen to my words as I open us in prayer, but bow your head, close your eyes. Nothing, there's no requirement in the Bible that says you have to close your eyes, but I just want you to focus on God and just create this little two foot little bubble, if you will, where you just, it's just you and him and just pretend like the person beside you isn't there. And would you say to God, it's in the quietness of your heart, God, I'm here. What do you want from me? That's a very good prayer. God, what do you want? Some of you can't do that this morning. And you would need to say, God, if you're real, Reveal yourself to me. Father, you're amazing. God, the fact that you love unlovely people just like me blows my mind. Thank you so much for being here. Holy Spirit, you are present in this place. There is no place that I can go or would want to go outside of your presence. And so, Lord, I just ask you, would you come and get your glory in our lives? Would you come and show up in our lives in such a way that it would draw us to response this morning, to, to respond to your word with action to respond to what you have to say to us with, with a yes. And so have your will and way is my prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. If you do not have a Bible, there's one in the, the pew in front of you. If you'd grab it, I want you to hold a copy of God's Word. It's going to be on the screens if you can't find one. Or if you have a device... Go to the settings and turn off all those notifications that as soon as you grab your Bible app, they're going to all start popping up. And it's going to be serious stuff about what Molly's doing this morning with a glass of orange juice. And you're going to want to look and see. I don't want you to look at that. I want us to look at God's Word. And let's take a few moments and see what Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35 has to say to us. 
Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he had begun to settle accounts. One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife, his children, and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. I will repay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion. He released him, forgave him the debt. But that servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me. I will repay you all. And he would not. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. Then the master after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his, his brother's trespasses. Some questions this morning that we are going to ponder, and I believe this text will answer most of them, is what is forgiveness? Do I have the right to refuse forgiveness from a repented person? Can I even forgive at all? Do I have that authority? How do I receive forgiveness? What if I can't forget the offense? Does that mean I've not forgiven at all? What if I refuse to forgive? Do I bind that person in a state of the unforgiven? Does my refusal to forgive someone make the offender responsible for their sin? Does the offender have the, ha, do they have to be repentant before I can forgive them? The answer is yes and no. Um, do, do I keep forgiving an offender if he keeps wronging me? At what point in time can I just say, no, I'm not forgiving you anymore? If I forgive, do I have to restore the relationship as it was before? 
And a good one is, does, does forgiveness exonerate the offender? These are questions we need to ask. Is forgiveness approving the offender's action? So in your worship guide, there's a note sheet, and I would like for you to pull that out and write a few things down. Just pull it out, flip it over. And on the back of that note sheet, I'm going to give you five things that forgiveness is not. And then we're going to walk through this passage in our brief time this morning. Five things that forgiveness is not. First of all, forgiveness is not the release of consequences. It does not exonerate the offender of wrongs. It does not make the offender innocent. It's not a release of consequences. It's not, number two, it's not a resetting of the memory. It does not mean that I forget the offense. You've, hold, you've heard that old adage, well, you've, if you've forgiven, you've forgotten. That's what we call in the Greek bull. It is not true, okay? You, you, can, you can remember, and we're going to look at how do we address that when, when I continue to, re, you may have to forgive someone 10,000 times. It's very, very important. It does not reset the memory. I, will, I, I might remember it again. Chances are I will. It, is not, um, it does not mean that I reject the offense and that it occurred. I, I'm not just denying that it didn't, it, it never happened. Um, it's not rapid healing. Well, I forgive, and then all of a sudden, immediately, I just, everything's great. Yeah, it's all, all good. No, not necessarily. Sometimes that happens. Other times it doesn't. And then fifthly, um, what forgiveness is not, it's not a restoration of the relationship. I can forgive someone, and that, that relationship is not reestablished. The trust is not there like it was before. It doesn't mean that it just ha I have to invite them over for coffee or, or um, be vulnerable with that offender again. So what is forgiveness? Uh, verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus with a, 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 a request. He wants Jesus to um, put a cap on forgiveness. How many times is enough? Peter comes to him, verse 21, Lord... How many times do I have to forgive my brother? Do I forgive him up to seven times? And Jesus refuses his request. And he tells him, no, seven times 70. Now, um, I'm not the best at math, but I can do multiplication. Pretty sure that's 490 times. And I think that's in one day. Jesus' answer to Peter's question is, um, it's unlimited. In essence, what he's saying is, um, that repentant brother is to be forgiven. He's to be, he's to be forgiven. Um, Webster's Dictionary says uh, uh, forgiveness is to pardon an offense and cease to hold resentment. I think that's a pretty good one. I'm, I'm ceasing to hold resentment with that person. Write this down. Um, forgiveness is a voluntary process by which a victim lets go of a negative spite and wishes no ill towards the offender. Forgiveness is a voluntary process by which a victim lets go of that negative spite and wishes no ill towards the offender. Now we have to look at the context to see what's going on here when Peter comes to Jesus. Jesus had just explained to Peter three steps to dealing with conflict, dealing with this disagreement. What should a Christian do if someone has an offense 
against them. And so he says, Jesus tells him, go to the offender, explain it. And if, and if he repents, meaning if he's going this direction and you explain to him how this, what is this has impacted your life and he's wrong, he's to turn and go the other way. Then he says, you've won your brother. Good job. But if not, step number two takes place. Jesus explains that you're to go back to him. This is what Christians should do. Go back to him with two or three witnesses and explain again to him, hey, you're going this away. We, we really feel like you need to turn this away and go repent. And, and you really want that to happen. But if it doesn't, step three, Jesus explains, then you're to bring him to the church. You're to tell the church about it. This is not a popular thing. And he says in verse 17, Jesus says, let him be like a heathen and a tax collector. Those are not pretty images um, there. Then you have one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible where two or three, verse 20 says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm in the midst. Context of that is Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to honor, I'm going to honor your decision to honor my commands. And I think if we did this as a church, if church members did this, step one doesn't involve your pastor. Step one involves you and the offender. And it's not easy, but rarely have I ever seen this go to step three when step one and even step two are taken right. So this is what's going on. This chapter, the context is the impenitent person will not be released um, of their sin. Forgiveness is essential. They have to be, it has to be dealt with. And Jesus insists that the repentant person be forgiven. Verse 23, Jesus enters this parable, this earthly story with a, with a beautiful heavenly meaning. But it's a scary story. And he describes this king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began to settle accounts and he runs across this guy who owes him, his servant owes him 10,000 talents. Now that is a lot of money. In today's economy, that is um, countless millions of dollars. It's a lot. R.C. Sproul said that um, Herod's entire annual economy for his entire kingdom in that day was only 900 talents a year. So if you do the math, that's like 10 times the amount of what it took to run the whole empire. It's a lot. It's an insurmountable amount of money. No servant could satisfy this debt. And this is the meaning. This is important that we see this. So he's brought before um, this, this king with this debt. Now, it makes me realize, and it just points me to think about Daniel my insurmountable debt. And it makes me think about my king who um, released me from my debt, who freed me. And we're about to see this beautiful, this beautiful story. What a story. Verse 25, he, this, this servant wasn't able to pay it, obviously. That's the point. His master con commanded that he be sold and his wife and his children He's about to lose his freedom and his family. He's losing everything. And the, ser the, the servant realizes this. Therefore, verse 26, he fell down before his master. Master, have patience on me. I will pay you all. The servant accepted the fact that 
his debt was insurmountable. It's huge. It was massive. And he begs for patience. He begs for patience and he's probably on his knees. And the king responds with grace. The master responds by forgiving him, by having compassion on him. Grace had grace and mercy on this servant's life and freed him and set him free. Let him go. What a, what a beautiful picture. And it, it leads me to the question is, um, have, have I been forgiven? Have I, have I been forgiven of such a great debt? Have you ever had someone that needed forgiveness? Have you ever had to forgive someone? I don't think we can cancel a debt like this. My forgiveness does not cancel the debt as this, this it doesn't free um, the person as this servant was freed. He let it go. Every Christian has been to Jesus with an insurmountable debt and heard those words, you're free. Go and sin no more. Don't do it again. And those are beautiful, beautiful words. Um, I think of Adam and Eve in the garden. There was just one command. God said, don't eat of that tree. And what did they do? They go and they eat of the tree. God said, if you eat of that tree, by the way, here's the consequences. My command has consequences, has blessings, but also their consequences. If you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Up until that point, Adam and Eve would have lived on. But when they ate of that fruit, sin came on the scene and their body began to die in that moment and started to decay. And it took hundreds of years, but it happened. God, um, I counted about four curses, I think, that God put on mankind. And one of those is that I am born into this world a sinner. There's no baby at the hospital is announced over the monitor. Oh, this perfect, none they look cute, I know, but they're, sin, they're born sinners. Um, we're all born sinners in need of a Savior. And our debt continues to build up as we live in this life. And our need for Jesus becomes paramount and impossible. It's impossible for us, and that's the gospel, is that Jesus came and he decided, hey, I don't want to leave them in this damned and doomed state. I don't want to leave these people to, to, to live in eternity in, in hell. I want to send a way for redemption, a way for forgiveness to be made. And Jesus became that sacrifice. And that, my friends, is a beautiful, amazing thing that my king came and died for me. And he held his arms out or stretched to that tree. He's nailed, battered, bruised. But guys, he, he, he said to Telestai, paid in full, I've satisfied Daniel's debt. I can't get over that. But that drives me. It drives me. It shifts my attitude to be a forgiver. This person receives his life. He's down on his knees, this servant. He, he, he's, everything is being taken from him. And the king says, get up, go, you're free. Don't, no, don't worry about it. Don't, don't sell your camel. Don't, don't do, listen, you're free. Just walk off. Don't, any payment that that slave would have made would not have made that um, unconditioned forgiveness. And that's what Jesus brings. We have no, we bring nothing to the table. 
in, in that model. But how does he respond? Verse 28, he responds the wrong way. He leaves that moment and he went out and he found another servant who owed him a hundred denarii. That's a little bit of money. That's not a lot. Everybody say little. This servant was just forgiven an equi equivalent to millions. And now he goes out and, and he, he, he finds this person that owes him just a little bit. He lays hands on him. He physically assaults him. He grabs him by the throat. Now, this servant uses the same language that the first servant had used. He said, have patience on me. I will pay you everything. By the way, the second servant could have paid that debt. Really key point there. He could have paid it. He could have come up with it. He could have made, the first servant could not pay his debt. Grabs him by the throat. He begs him, have patience with me. But he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't forgive him. Threw him into prison. It affected his, his entire family's life. The first servant forgot the debt that he had been paid. He, he had been forgiven of. So fellow servants, verse 31, um, when they saw what had been done, they were grieved. They, they loved these guys. And they came and they told their master, the king, all that had been done. The master calls this servant says to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you everything. I, I, gave, I gave you it all back. I just said, don't worry about it. Should not you have also had compassion on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? The answer is yes. We can see here that there's a call. There's an implication here that the repented person is to be forgiven He says, um, his master, verse 34, was angry, and he delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due him. So, my heavenly Father, by the way, this verse terrifies me. I read this verse, and my heart is just broken. So, my heavenly Father will also do to each of you, if from his heart he does not forgive his brother, his trespasses. How important is forgiveness? It's huge. This um, expectation in, in, in this story that Jesus delivers is that the forgiven is to in turn forgive, no exception. We have to be forgivers. We've got to figure out how to make that happen. We need to, we need to exhaust much energy in giving forgiveness. I remember sitting in a staff meeting several years ago and hearing Pastor Danny um, say a statement that just really moved me. He said, it was a, it, there was a conflict going on. It was something, the decision had to be made. And he says, no, let's, let's, let's administer grace. Thank you for doing that, Pastor. Let's administer grace. He says, I want to be known for being a gracious church. He had every right to lower the boom. But he, was a, he, he, he showed graciousness. That's what we need to be about. 
That's who God's people should be known for. Um, this person didn't do it, and he, his debt was called. You see that? Um, the king recalled his original debt, says, oh, by the way, you owe me everything now. And uh, I think our forgiveness really starts with knowing who we are, a good anthropology of man, and, and really knowing the king. Who is, who is our king? What is what, our doctrine of God? And how does that, that shape us? When we go back to the garden, it's clear. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. Forgiveness this morning is available through Jesus. Forgiveness this morning is available to you um, through Jesus and through God alone. Um, write this down. Someone said, unforgiveness is a poison we drink expecting someone else to die. Unforgiveness is something that I, when I refuse to forgive, I needed some water, this worked perfect. When I refuse to forgive, I'm in essence drinking poison. Oh, I'm going to get him. Watch this. He's going to pay, but I'm killing myself. I'm killing myself. That's a scary thing. It's a scary thing. What is God saying to you through this text? I want to draw you to application. Consider what Jesus has saved you from. Consider what Jesus has saved you from, and that'll drive you to what he's saving you to. He has a plan. He has a plan for us. Colossians 2.14 says that he canceled the record of charges against us and took it out of the way. Nailed it to his cross. That is beautiful news right there. Amen goes there. That's a good one. Good place to put that in. We don't want to play, we don't want, we don't want unforgiveness in our lives. You don't want to be that person that walks through and the monitor pops up refusal to forgive. We can't be that guy. And um I tell you what, unforgiveness is so unpopular that if you're typing a paper, word will not even recognize it. It's not even in the dictionary. It should be. We need to submit that and get that word in there because it's rampant, but it's important. But I think the main reason that some of us have not forgiven or some of you have not forgiven is because you don't know how and you don't know what the implications are for that or what happens when I when I remember that offense again? Good questions. Um, five common questions about forgiveness that I hear from time to time, and that's it. What if, what if I can't forget the offense? How do I deal with that? Does it mean I did not forgive? No. I have forgiven someone 10,000 times, and I did it this morning when prepping for this message. Why? Because the memory came back up. And I'm not going to tell you who it is because I forgave him again. And I dealt with it. When it comes up, quickly put the offense back where it belongs. At the feet of Jesus, at the cross, it's nailed there. And he says, I'm not going to remember it anymore. When I've dealt with it, he said, our sin as far as the east is from the west. 
And if you think about that, the reason he didn't say north to south is because north will eventually intersect and, and south will start. And so to clarify that, God says, I have, I, your sin is as far as the east is from the west. They never intersect. When you go east, guess what's chasing you? Just as fast as you go east, west is coming right behind you. They never intersect. That's where our sin belongs. And that's where I need to leave it. When it comes back up, put it back at the, foot, at the feet of Jesus. If I refuse to forgive someone, do I bind them as unforgiven? No. You don't, don't kid yourself. You do not have the power to forgive sin. You're not God. God forgives sin, God and God alone. You say, well, why do I forgive? Forgiveness is, is, is releasing that, that resentment and it's, release, it's obedience, first of all. Number one, forgiveness is obedience. God said for me to forgive, so therefore I should. Only God can forgive sin. Does my refusal to forgive someone make the offender responsible for their sin? No, the offender is foremost responsible to the Lord. Um, he, he'll, God, God will reckon that. Does the offender have, have to be repentant before I forgive? This is important, and, and we don't have time to really dive into this, but does the, does the person have to be repentant before I forgive them? Some say no, um, and, and in most cases in Scripture, we see repentant people being forgiven. However, I did find where Jesus forgave on the cross, and so if Jesus can forgive someone who is obviously not repentant, they're driving nails, they're spitting on him, they're cursing him, then I need to forgive as well. Um, and so I think, I think you, we, for, we have to forgive for ourselves. We have to forgive to free ourselves to be able to experience what the Lord would have for us. Ephesians 4, 32 says, be kind to one another. Be kind forgiving one another. How much? Even as Christ, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Matthew 6, 15. But if you do not forgive, Jesus says, if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Have you ever thought about that? That your unforgiveness could be binding you unforgiven? I didn't make that up. If you don't forgive, your Father will not forgive you. Forgiveness is important. In a few moments, the altar is going to open up and you're going to have an opportunity. As a matter of fact, you don't have to come down here to be forgiven. Um, God is right where you are. You can respond to Him right where you are. I want to invite you to respond. Hebrews uh, 10, verse uh, 17, 18 says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. Mm. Offering for sin. Um, I want to close with this story. Let's see, where do I start with this thing? So I have to tell you, um, I have a background in construction and development. And so I... Um, for about 12 years, ran a company. I ran it for about six years. It ran me for the first six years. Some of you know what that's like. And had a very lucrative business, built four or 500 houses, um, built the company from the ground up. God blessed us. It was crazy. 
Now, in those days, if I wanted something, I bought it. Um, I just bought it. One day, my wife made me go purchase a Corvette. I'm not lying. You can ask her. She really pushed, she pushed me. To, she wanted me to go get this Corvette, and so I bought this Corvette. It's shiny, silver metallic. I call it the silver bullet. This thing was a black rag top, six-speed, and let me tell you, it was the envy of every old man at every red light I ever went to. I pull up, and he's like, you want to go? I was like, park your Pinto, buddy. You're okay. But... So I did a lot of ministry with this thing. I was bivocational student pastor, and so it was really cool to pick up a senior and take him to breakfast and drop him off in the front of the school and hit the gas on that thing, and he was the coolest kid walking in. One of the things I had to do was join the Corvette Club because some of the girls in my student ministry were, were running for homecoming queen, and they wanted me to ride them around on my, my Corvette. And so the Corvette Club would do those things. I had to join the Corvette Club. One night at, at, at homecoming for Sherwood Christian Academy, I was waiting on the time to ride the winter around. By the way, every girl that rode around in my car won. I'm just saying, I don't, you know. It was a really good car. But I am um, waiting to ride around the, the, the football field with this gal as she's crowned homecoming queen. And I'll never forget, the, these Corvette guys, they were serious about it, serious about it. And they says, where, where, where was your baby born? I was like, well, at Phoebe Putney Memorial Hospital. It's like, no, your car. Where was your baby? And so I had to wait on them. And so it was like they all made a mad rush to my door to open the door, look at this little plate on the door, and tell me where my baby, what hospital, what plant it was born in. Well, as soon as this guy makes it over there, opens the door, he looks at it, he says, oh, my, he, he has the Z51 package. And everybody in the room, everybody around is like, Z51 package? Really? Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? How do you like your Z51? You, you have a Z51 package? That is cool. Does it, how, what does it do? Like, it, and they're just asking, just enamored. These guys were psychos. They're coming in all around me. And I'm like, oh, what's, what's a Z51 package? I had no clue that my car had something that is it called a Z51 package. And the guys are astounded. They almost kicked me out of the club. They said, no, you go over to the console and, and you hold down this button on the console for a couple of seconds. Competition driving mode is engaged. And it was the coolest thing ever. Um, I had no idea what competition driving mode would do for me. They turned that thing on. It changed the emission intake on my car. It, it gave the car um, a better clutch performance. It enhanced the shift speed, um, gave it more horsepower, all these things. I left homecoming that night. I was the first guy out of the parking lot in a cloud of smoke. It, I'd had the car two years and didn't know that I had a competition driving package on that car until I pressed the button, hold it down, and it was wild and crazy. What if tonight, or what if today, this afternoon now, there's something in your life, a button that you can press that would release your life to do things you can't imagine? 
What, what if unforgiveness has settled in and, and you're just recognizing it right? I want to invite you this morning to receive forgiveness. I want to invite you this morning when we pray, these, these altars will be open even right where you're at. There will be counselors at the back of the room, uh, behind the sound booth, there'll be counselors and pastors at the front. But it would be an awesome day if you pressed a button in your life called forgiveness and you were released to do things and to perform in your life like you can't imagine. You say, I've already done it and I'm not forgiving her again. Well, guess what? You need to press the button. Maybe this, maybe this morning you, you're, you don't know Jesus and you're hearing about this, this God who came to earth and took on this earth suit and, 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 and willingly gave his life on this cross called Calvary to make and become that final sacrifice so that you can receive forgiveness. And that is news to you. And you're saying, I want that. Well, guess what? You don't need me this morning because the Holy Spirit is right there. You call out to him and you ask him to save you. Let somebody know. Tell somebody. Come tell us. We would love to hear that. Pastor Danny would love to hear that you've given your life to Christ. Somebody in a group this size needs to do that this morning. You need to give your life to Jesus. What are you waiting on? You're not promised tomorrow. I don't know. I could, I could, be, I could be in my last hour. I don't know this. I'm not promised tomorrow. What am I going to do in this moment? What am, how am I going to respond to Jesus this morning? Every single one of us need to respond to him. Say, so how do you know that? We're all, even, even Christians that would walk in and that monitor says, oh, life is good. Quiet time was great this morning. Jesus is doing something in my life. Guess what? You're headed into a storm. You're headed into a storm. They come. We're in this sanctification process. God is, he's chiseling away at my life, conforming me to the image of his son. And he's taking more and more of Daniel away. And he's just carving out and just, just showing off his image as he strips me of sin and self. And when that process is done, I will um, be lowered in Crown Hill Cemetery in Albany, Georgia. And I will be present with him. And it'll be even more glorious. I'm going to pray for us. And I want to ask you to respond to however the Lord is calling you to respond. But don't leave this place the same. Heads bowed, eyes closed. What are you going to do with the story of a king who came and freed you? How are you going to respond to Jesus this morning? Please, I urge you, I beg you, don't leave this place the same. Some of you are tempted right now to zone out. You're, you're tempted to go back to that numb state. I, I'll do it another day. I'll wait. Please, don't wait. Don't wait. You say, well, I think everything's good. Why don't right where you're at ask God? God, is everything good? Am I okay? And just hush and listen. Respond in some way, shape, or form. Father, we need you. We trust you. Thank you so much for the cross. Thank you for the freedom you purchased at Calvary for us. But God, you didn't free us to go and grab our brother by the throat. You didn't free us to put on the chains again. You didn't free us to go out and live like whatever we want. You freed us to a walk of obedience. 
conformity to your plan. Help us. We need you, Jesus. Father, I pray for that person that just holding on this morning and they're sitting and they, they need to let go and they're grabbing on with everything they can and everything they have and they need to let go and let you be Lord of their life. I pray they surrender to you today. I pray they come and take one of us by the hand and find out more of what that looks like. You do business in this place this morning, God. We are your people. Have your will and way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us and you respond um, however Jesus is calling you this morning.